0: Welcome to Scriptures for Life, a ministry of Trinity Evangelical Free Church in Boise, Idaho. In a troubled world, riddled with endless pursuits, we have a place of peace and rest in Jesus Christ. We invite you to join us in worshiping Him and following Him in a life-transforming journey. Now, here's my friend Mark to introduce today's sermon.
1: Good morning. Trinity Evangelical Free Church in Boise, Idaho welcomes you to Part 6 in our continuing series, Marks of a Living Church. Ever had a troubling question about the Lord in your life and were afraid to ask? Concerned others would shut you down for asking hard questions? The message today talks about life groups that allow the hard questions for answers about Jesus and his purpose in your life.
0: In Bible studies, we ask questions about what is studied. You see, in the home groups will be less formal. You'll be relaxed. You can let your guard down. And then you will be able to interact and follow through. When we're, ge- we're gathered together at church, you're listening. And you're listening. Maybe you're taking some notes. If it's warm enough, you'll doze off. But when you're in a life group, well, kind of rude, right? Have you ever sat down with your friend and you're having breakfast and while he's talking away or your wife, you're like, You kind of can't do that in a home group. You're staying awake for the setting. You're involved. That's the whole idea of being involved and interested deeply in what God is saying. Not only that, besides asking the questions, besides studying the Word of God deeply, but we can share our own knowledge of the Word. And that's not why we gather to tell you what I know, but you've known this throughout life. The best way you're going to learn is when... You have to teach others. Remember when you had to teach a Sunday school, your children, or in your classroom, you better know what you're saying. So you got to learn so you understand why you're saying what you're saying. Same thing here. You'll be able to explain Scripture from what you know. You can comment. Not only that, but all this put together accelerates your spiritual growth. 1 Peter 2.2. Like newborn babies, long. There's another deep word. And if you're not longing, pray that God would revive your heart to change your appetite. Long for the pure milk of the word. Desire it. You know, what does this longing look like? Here's a very poor example. Do you like coffee? I've learned to make coffee at home just like, or if not better, than at Dutch Brothers Starbucks Starbucks. Or all the other guys. And in the morning I wake up and I can't wait to go and make my coffee with the frothed milk and the honey and a little bit of caramel cream. And I mix it up and I got to froth it. And I take a taste and say, ah, oh, what a poor example but that's how we desire it and we get it. This is how we're supposed to long for the word of God. And we're so far from it. Most of us are so anemic. We would need a pacemaker, spiritually speaking, to jolt us back into life. And we say, Lord, why am I not hungry for your word? A Romanian saying is that appetite comes while you're eating. Maybe the idea is that when you taste and see how good it is, is God says you've tasted that the Lord is good. And this is how you grow spiritually. You accelerate it. The more study, the more often you study with your home group, your life group, the more you grow. And, and, and you know what? And it's not from one day to another. It's that measurement on the doorpost when you were a child and had children. They would sit there and come back to you the next day. Measure me again. Wait a minute. You didn't grow yet. But six months and one year later, you were a couple of inches. What happened? He ate every single day. That's true of spiritual food. More than that, we enjoy the fellowship of studying with other Christians. Please explain to me or let me explain to you what do you think? Do we see this? Oh, praise God. The Spirit spoke to the both of us the same thing. We enjoy studying together and we also are an encouragement for other Christians. Oh, you may say, I don't sing. I don't play the piano or an instrument. How can I encourage people? Show up. That's it. Let me put it this way. The difference between Sunday morning and a life group is the difference of playing soccer or football and playing tennis. Hey, tomorrow morning, whoever gathers together, we're going to play soccer. And we'll divide up however many people show up. And we may play four on four, five on five, seven on seven, because people showed up. But if if, if I'm going to have an appointment to go play tennis uh, with Bob, and I say, tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock, I'll be there. Now, on Sunday morning, you may say, oh, I don't feel too good. I'm tired, long week. They'll be okay, because you think of all the people that are going to be there. They won't miss you, especially when the church grows bigger, a face in a nameless crowd. People won't know where you sit and where you are, though it shouldn't be that way. But when you play tennis, if I don't show up, Bob is going to be playing up against the wall and wonder, where is Lori? And then we say we're going to meet together and and, and enjoy this fellowship of hitting a ball around. Home group Bible study is that dedication that I care about God's word and I care about you. And when I show up, I'm an encouragement. That speaks volumes in caring. So when when you decide whether you go to church or not, it's not that easy. It's not that easy when you say, I'm not going to be there. Because you will be missed. People will be discouraged. There's an email that asked readers to reflect on the following questions. And this transitions us into the second powerful reason of why the first century church was growing and it had power in transforming people's lives. First, it was the Word of God. Second, here it is. People were asked these questions, and imagine I'm asking these questions for you and see if you can answer them. First, name the five wealthiest people in the world. Five. You may think of one or two, right? But not five. Second, Name the last five Heisman Trophy winners. And if you know it, you know too much about football. Name the last five winners of the Miss America contest. You should not know this one. But even if you did, if you tried, you wouldn't be able to think of it. Four, name 10 people who have won the Nobel Prize or the Pulitzer Prize. I can think of a couple that did but shouldn't. Maybe you can too. But you can't. Name the last half dozen Academy Award winners for Best Actress and Actor. They didn't know. And name the last ten World Series winners. I know Cubs many years ago. You don't know. Then if you sit and think about why we don't know these things, and though they may be important to the world, here's another set of questions that were asked. List a few teachers who aided your journey through school. I know a few right away. First grade, kindergarten, fifth grade, high school. I was talking to Dan about my secular English teacher in high school that was just amazing. Small the pipe, but he was smart. It was all get out. He made me love literature. Dr. Necrocious, that was his name. Name three friends who have helped you through a difficult time. Well, if you do, you're rich. But I know you have them in your mind. Name five people who taught you something worthwhile. Man, every time I prepare that meal, I say, God, thank you for Bob. I'm serious. He introduced me to this cooking thing. And it's funny about this cooking thing that you get boxes, and I've sent a whole bunch of people free boxes. And they react to those free boxes of food just like people react with the gospel. Eh, sometimes, maybe, not now. I've tried before, I'm not going to. I'm so excited about what I've tasted and what I've experienced, I want everybody to enjoy it. And people are like, eh, maybe, not now. Same thing with the gospel. Well, look at these people that have taught you something worthwhile. Think of a few people that have made you feel appreciated and special. Think of five people you enjoy spending time with. Got those? Got those? Those people that make you feel comfortable and and, and relaxing. They're not taxing you. They're not sucking life from you. They're, They're investing in your emotional bank. It's good. Name six heroes whose stories have inspired you. Yeah, you got those. Here's the thing, here's the point of this survey, the people who make a difference in your lives are not the ones with the most credentials or the ones with the most money or the ones with the most awards, are the ones that care. Are we a caring church? Why must we understand the scriptural principle and example that the church lives outside these halls and into our own homes? Where we rub until we glue. Where we share until we own life together. The second principle, the second pillar. A living church not only is founded on a transformational word of God, but a living church abides in life-impacting relationships. And that word abides is taken right from the Lord Jesus. Abide in me and I'll abide in you. And the Father will come and we'll make our abode with you. Abide in this relationship. Seek them out. How many of you when you were younger were hoping and you were looking and you wanted to have a best friend? I'm a relational guy, if you couldn't tell already. So I, I as a child, I, I wanted to have a best friend, which in the end turned around and stabbed me in the back, just like friends will do that, won't they? But the Bible says, listen, do not shut yourself in just because someone stabbed you in your back. Continue to open your life and give out your life because that's the way you impact people, and they impact you in these relationships. The word that we read in Colossians about being rooted in the word of God and built up. That's who God uses to build you up. Even though sometimes it may seem they're tearing you down. People say, I love ministry. it's the people I can't stand. It sounds funny, ironic, but it doesn't make sense. But it's this building up that God uses in these connected relationships. The coming and going in any size church is no more than going to the theater and watching a good show. That's not church. It's a gathering. Actually, what breaks my heart is when people sometimes would have come up to me saying, Pastor, that was a great speech. Yeah, exactly. I'm not here to give you a speech. There's a difference between preaching and giving a speech, right? Same thing. Church is not in attendance to have numbers to come and go. And that's the beauty and the mark of this church, the fellowship, right? We leave from here at times at 2 p.m. And when church is done at 1230, we don't want to go home because we enjoy talking. But now we've got to take that to another level. We got to become spiritual archaeologists where we dig together. We go, see, the danger is that we may have a great time together when things are great. And when things are bad, we talk to nobody and we shy away, we close the door. That is not the power of the church. That's being reclusive because we're afraid of shame or we don't want to unearth all the pain. But the church is meant to be one as a body where we share and we mesh. Remember the illustration, we're not marbles, we're a bunch of grapes. We're supposed to squish and squeeze and ooze out all of the beautiful stuff. The aroma of the fragrance of the wine that comes out of the grapes. If you're marbles, you bounce and go the other way. Life impacting relationships is what builds us up. Do you have those? Do people know what you think and how you think? Not on a search Sunday morning service, they don't because you're supposed to listen, right? But in a life group, you can share, you can question, and someone has to explain the depths of what he just said, and together you say, wow, I get it. Let's live it together. Uh, Stott, the commentary theologian, says that fellowship was born in the day of Pentecost, When the Holy Spirit came down, the 120, and then the 3,000, that's when the word fellowship, koinonia, came up. What does that mean? It's because Christian fellowship means common participation in God. Common participation in God. Right here, there's a level of commonness, but it is inch deep level because it's from here to there. It's not among you. Common among us is when we are sharing and we are listening and we are advising and questioning and we are common participation in God. And we love it when we have things in common with each other. And the more you find out the common things you have with each other, you're like, wow, we are brothers and sisters. Now, in the earthly things, doesn't have that much value, but Jesus, His mercy, His patience... Fellowship encourages and strengthens that we can walk together. That's what John says in 1 John 1:3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. So we present scripture. So our common relationship and fellowship in God is the Word of God. Your fellowship with us, and our fellowship, he clarifies it, is not just the cooking or the writing, it is Jesus, the Father, Son, Jesus Christ. The idea of fellowship and koinonia means having something in common. The breakdown of relationships, whether it's a couple or a group, one of the failures says, we've got nothing in common. Remember that movie way back in the 90s, Irreconcilable Differences? I forget who the actors were, but the kid was falling in between this divorce because the parents could not see eye to eye and we live in these situations today and it breaks our heart. We got nothing in common. Churches break up because they realize they got nothing in common in a real sense. They may sing together, open the same Bible, but they got nothing in common because they don't know each other. That's why people come and go and leave the church because they got nothing in common because they don't know each other. In a life group, we do life together. I go over and we're doing life together from these practical things which may be temporary and without use to the, brother, what do I do? My wife wants to leave me. Well, no, she doesn't, but that's the deep question. Who do you go to when life hits hard? Fellowship in the commonality of the presence and the power of God, koinonia, life groups. We do life together. We need to be together in each other's homes and lives. Someone said the stronger your vertical fellowship is, the stronger your horizontal fellowship will be. And that's a dichotomy that we live. We come across this ironical contrast where people say, I love God, but I don't have to go to church. I don't have time to go to the fellowship group. I don't have time for this. I'm doing my own thing. Well, you're contradicting yourself, are you not? If you find yourself out of fellowship with God, you will begin to find yourself out of fellowship with the other believers around you. They're intertwined tightly. Why don't you want to spend time with God's people? Because you're not spending time with God. Because when you spend time with God, the Father, you find out how much He loves the children. So you're like, oh, if I'm going to make Daddy happy, I'm going to love what He loves. God loves people. God loves His church. Jesus died for her. How can I not live my life for the benefit of the church? Common phrase that I mentioned earlier, a bit different. I don't like to be with other Christians very much. They all seem to be hypocrites. And then if we were biblical like Paul, we would say of which foremost, I am the biggest hypocrite. All right, we're going to finish with this point. Why the fellowship? Because I'm not trying to convince you to marry me. Okay, <laughs> right? You got a problem. If he opens up and he shows a diamond ring and and says, "Will you marry me?" and her reaction is, "Ah, what are you doing?" What And he's had to convince her, I can cook, I'm a good husband, I'm good looking, I'll serve you. If you're trying to convince someone to marry you, you've lost your direction, right? You can't convince, you, you, you can't force love on anybody, right? But if you begin to fall in love with God, He'll take care of all the other things. And by the way, being connected in a life group is for your own benefit. For all the blessings and protection and the uplifting and the wisdom and the comfort and the direction and the protection that a church and a life group gives. That's the church. Because we can all, if you want to be, become members at Costco. Pay your dues and go get what you want, as much as you want, and then go home, first of all, or first of all, and the end of it. It's powerful love in action. You see, we've got to take all of these principles and all these commandments from a biblical, theological, beautiful presentation to which everyone says amen. And we've got to go to Acts 2 and say, what shall we do then, brothers? How do we live this Christian life? Do not forsake the gathering of each other together, Hebrews 10.25. You begin by selling all you've got. All the time, all of your hobbies, all of those preferences, all of that time, me time, it's me time now, sell all that and be all in and say, now I will be part of this church and I will do life with this group. After all, John puts it, if you don't love your brother, the truth is you don't love God. Wait a minute, what are you talking about? First John chapter 4, verse 7, beloved, let us love one another. Well, how do I love one another? By being together in a practical, real sense. Picking up the phone, driving over, meeting up and talking, going fishing, work on the yard, doesn't matter. Live life together. Love one another, that's how we love. That's one way to love one another. For love is from God. And if everyone who loves, you've been born of God. So when I am investing my life in someone else's life and I take their burdens upon my shoulders, I am proving to my own soul that I've been born of God. So it comes back to being a blessing for me because you better know for sure you're going to heaven. Otherwise, you will be miserable and second-guessing God every day, wondering, is God in this? Should I be here? What's going to happen to my soul when I go to heaven? One way to have that assurance that you are his and you're going to heaven for eternity is when you find out that you love others. Not just in word comes James. James says, good job, John. I agree with what you're saying, but don't do it just in word. Do it in action. And this brings up to the greatest commandment of all. And the second. And he said to him, what's the greatest commandment? He was asked. And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God. But when you love the Lord your God, you got to be all in. It's got to be with your heart. It's got to be with your soul. It's got to be with your mind. Non-stop throughout the day in his word, for his word, dedicated in time to his word. And love the Lord with everything you are. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second one, like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself everything you do for yourself everything you buy for yourself all the time you want to spend for yourself do it for your neighbor and here john wants to unveil this common self-deception and consequence because we want to live somehow in a dichotomized mindset of spirituality i love god god loves me i'm saved don't bother me john says wait a minute you got you got this wrong The one who does not love does not know God. So right away, wake up, wait a minute. I'm not spending time, I'm not loving, I'm not investing, I'm not spending time walking with people, living with people. Oops, am I even a Christian? A born-again Christian, that is. Why? Because God is love. 1 John 4, 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, straight out, he's a liar. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to people. Why? For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen. Well, that's why I don't love him because I see him. What is wrong with you? Look at the way he's talking. Look at the way he's thinking. Look at his worldview. I don't want to love him. But he's talking about sacrificial, cross-driven, blood-dripping, eternal life-focused kind of love. Not carnal, but spiritual for the one who does not live his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Where does that leave us? Living for the Lord, being part of the church, will take all of your life. You can't do that on your own. God does that through you because you love Him.
1: Fellowship encourages our walk together. 1 John chapter 1 calls us to fellowship with Jesus, and in Christ we have Him in common together. We're called to accept a focus in building a relationship with Jesus by directing our interest into the study of His Word, and this requires a daily focus. God has created in us a need to be with others, to be together, to share fellowship, that we can be in greater love with Him in His Word with others. In this, we develop a deeper, more abiding relationship. The Lord has directed us to love him first and our neighbor as ourself in fellowship. Let's pray. Jesus, you call us into a righteousness of spirit, mind, and heart. Call us, O Lord, into your word. Abide in us because you love us. Encourage us in each other in forgiveness and the study of your word. Set us on your path. Upholding one another in you. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to Scriptures for Life, a ministry of Trinity Evangelical Free Church in Boise, Idaho. For more information about our church, visit us online at trinityefcboise.org or by phone 208-322-8801. Our church is located at 1777 North Allenbaugh Street in Boise. We'd love for you to join us for Sunday worship at 11 a.m. Join us next week at this time as we go through and apply God's Word on Scriptures for Life.